Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we did this series because we felt like life is stressful enough. Can I get an amen and a what, what? Like life is stressful. Life can be hectic. Uh, there are all kinds of things that create stress in our life. We talked about this, that life is stressful when we have trouble in our life. Uh, and sometimes we get into trouble. Like sometimes trouble finds us because we're in the wrong place at the right time, the wrong time. Sometimes uh, trouble, we're into trouble because of decisions that we make, maybe dumb or foolish decisions. And so we said to this is that you can you can at least alleviate some stress of life if you walk in the ways of God, just doing that alone will relieve certain types of stress in your life. But everybody say, but some stress is unavoidable, like, like stress from responsibility. Like that's unavoidable. Like life, you just have these responsibilities and that can be a good kind of stress that sometimes what we said is this, is that sometimes our biggest problem is not our stress. It's just how we see our stress. If we see our stress as something that's overwhelming us and overcoming us and just, you know, then it will devastate us. If we see something that is, is stressful and we see it as an opportunity to rise to the occasion, as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to trust in God, those people are actually thriving at life. And so their problems, again, aren't problems if they learn how to trust God and see it through God's perspective. Uh, last week we talked about this, though, is that sometimes we create stress because how many know when you don't have enough time, you're stressed, Right? Like when, when you, there's no worse feeling than knowing that you were supposed to be somewhere at a certain time and you're running late and now you're breaking traffic laws to try to like, you know, just, I gotta get there. You don't, so time, there's a certain element of time. We talked about that last week, but there's other things that create stress. Everybody say money. Everybody say more money, more problems. We've never said that, have we? That's like a rich rap guy that said that. That's not true to us. But, um, there is something to money though that creates stress. Like, I don't know if you have felt it, but like, here's the deal. Here's what I know about you. Again, life is always introducing some type of stress, but it seems like during the holiday season and during Christmas time, we seem to take that stress that we endure all year long and then just kind of crank it up a little bit. So it's not that there's not always money stress. There probably is. It's just that we just crank it up a little bit during the holidays. And so I, I, I felt this because, you know, we were doing the budget and doing the math. And then you got to think, okay, do we get, because when you got three kids, you got to make sure you've gotten basically the same amount of presents for each kid. You know, you can't, you can't like favor the good kid and punish the bad kid because baby Jesus wouldn't do that. So we can do that later in the year, but not at Christmas time. And so, so there's this, pre- how many of you husbands, you feel the pressure to get the perfect gift? No? Wives? Do you even get a gift? Is there, is there a pressure? So there's a pressure financially, and especially if you have a big family. If you have a big family, you know this. I'm lucky that I have a small family, so it's not too hard. But when you have a big family, and then you're thinking about all the different Christmas presents that you've got to buy for all these people that you don't even like that much, and you're like, I've got to buy. And then, you got, and then they got nieces and nephews and cousins. And you got, God bless you people with big, big, big families. Do any of you ever feel like Sheldon from Big Bang? Sheldon had a theory that gift giving was, was, was dumb because he's like, here's what's going to happen on my, on my birthday. You're going to give me a $50 gift card, but then on your birthday, I, I then have to reciprocate and I have, I'm socially obligated to get you a $50 gift card when in reality we could have just kept our money and it's a wash. Anybody ever feel like that? You feel like that, but you can't say it. Sheldon says weird stuff. And so anyway, there's this stress though that you feel during the holidays and it comes from money. And and here's the idea. Now, here's the trap that we fall into. We fall into a trap 
that says, if I just had more money, I would have less stress. Because you think like that. I know how you think, because I think the same way too, and I have to fight it. We think that if we just had more money, that that would relieve all my stress in life. And we're hoping that we have a rich uncle somewhere that we've never heard of that dies and leaves us a lot of money. Or we hope that, you know, there's a bug in our Taco Bell, or there's, there's just some way that we're going to get ahead. You know, there's, I'm going to sue Taco Bell and get lots of money. I, I hope that, because if I just had more money, that would relieve all my stress. But that's not what Jesus taught. And that's what you already know, even if you haven't quite admitted it yet. Because here's what we know. Like, for instance, uh, I think it was U.S. World and News did a study, and they were tracking the level of, of poverty and yet the level of happiness in America. And what they found is, is that since World War II, our level of, of wealth and prosperity continues to rise, but our happiness as a society does not. Well, what does that tell you? That we have more now than we've ever had in the history of humanity. But what we don't have more now of is happiness. We're not actually happier. As a matter of fact, we, we find that in any advanced society that sometimes the more even uh, money and technology that we have, our happiness goes down. And so there's this, there, there is not a correlation between mo money and mo happiness. And maybe, maybe JYZ was right. Maybe the rapper, maybe Mo Money is Mo Problems. Jesus said this. Let's not quote Jay-Z. Uh, I don't even know if that is Jay-Z. I don't listen to rap music. Uh, Biggie? It was Biggie? As you see how far off I am. So, the, this is what Jesus taught ultimately is that the relationship between your money and your peace is not amount. It's management. That once you have a certain amount of money, no more money that you add to it will make you any happier or any more peaceful or any less stressful. That once you have your basic needs met, you keep adding more. And you know this to be true because you know people in your life who have less money than you and they're happier. They're more at peace and they have less stress. And so the difference, again, is not amount. And we know people that have more money than ourselves, right? We all know somebody that's got more money than us, and they're more miserable than we are too. There is no correlation between if I could just get some more money, I'd have some more peace, and I'd have some more happiness, and I'd have less stress. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said that the difference is not amount. It's in management. And nobody said amen when that quote went up. Did you notice that? Like Nobody's like, amen, pastor. Yes, you're so right about that. Jesus was spot on. Way to go to discover that truth and principle. Because here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Here's the question that you need to wrestle with. How much more money would it take to give you peace? You ever thought about that? Let's just do it in our head real quick. Okay, I've got, I've got about this much. How much more would it take for me to get a little bit less stress and a little more peace? And the answer that everybody came to is this. It's more than I currently have. Nobody thought to themselves, if I just had a little bit less, I think that'd be the key. Nobody said to themselves, you know what, I think I could just plateau right here. And if I just stayed the same, just an even keel, that that would do it. No, no, the answer that everybody had right here was more than I currently have. And there is a temptation in you and a temptation in me to say, hey, look, if I just had more, I would have more peace and less stress. I wouldn't have Merry Stressmas. I'd have Merry Christmas. And here's the problem that you run into is, again, enough is a moving target. Whatever you think enough is, as soon as you get it, it moves. I'll prove it to you. Because if you've been alive for, for more than a few decades, listen, listen, listen. Remember when you were 20 
And you thought to yourself, if I could just make this much money, oh my gosh, I would be rolling in the dough. And then you actually started to make that money. And you didn't feel that way. You you just moved the line. You moved enough forward and said, now, ooh, if I could just, and we do this with our cars. If I could just drive this. We do it with our houses. If I could just live here, we do it with the number. We have a number in our mind, especially depending on how old you are. When you start thinking about retirement, you've got a number in your mind. I need to get to this number. And if I could just get to this number, I would have more happiness and more peace and less stress. And so that's the temptation that you and I fall into. But Jesus taught, here's the, here's the, you need to write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus taught that if you don't manage your money properly, your money will manage you. Again, there are no amens in here today. This is ridiculous. I am a terrible preacher. Let me say something that Jesus said. That way you can blame him completely and not me. So this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. So Jesus is going to emphasize this point here. He says this. He goes, no one. Everybody say no one. That's a, that's a very absolute statement, right? You can't be out there today and be like, well, you know, Todd, you don't really know me. No, no. Jesus said no one. That means all of us. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, if you didn't read that last line, don't don't read it yet. Because what he just said is a principle of life. You can't be devoted to, completely devoted to, two things. He goes, it doesn't work that. Because you've got to have one is first. So you'll either hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one or despise the other. By the way, he defines it like this. Devoted to is, is a love idea. Does that make sense? Because he uses the, word, the words love, but then devoted to. So you can sit back and say, well, I don't love money. Yeah, but you're devoted to it. And Jesus said, love is devoted to. So when you're devoted to your money, you're devoted. Because if, if you, you fixate on it and think about it and stress about it and worry about it, I guarantee you, you are devoted to it. And he finishes with this line. You cannot serve both God and everybody say money. Now, he uses a word uh, called mammon, which is the, basically a, a, an Assyrian word for riches, wealth. They, the NIV just translated it. Money. He said, you can't serve, which I find to be fascinating because Jesus could have said a bunch of stuff there, right? He could have said stuff like, you can't serve God in yourself. And that would be true. He, said, he doesn't like bring the devil in. Like, hey, you can't serve God and the devil. He doesn't do that. What he, what he does is he leans into this idea that the number one competitor for your heart is money. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He goes, the number one thing that you will wrestle with in your life when it comes to your devotion is money. There's something about it that that tugs on our heart. And, And what happens is that when we get things out of their proper order, when God is not first in our life, what happens is, is our money, we're not managing it now. Well, our money is managing us and it's controlling us and it's guiding us and leading us and we are fixated on it and devoted to it and thinking about it. And here's, here's how it works. Watch this. Have you ever noticed this is how our stress really, really appears? Number one is this, is we get something called discontentment. Now, have you ever noticed that discontentment comes from awareness? Let me put it like this. If I put you on an island and you didn't know there was a new eye gadget and you didn't know there was a new car, you, didn't, you would be perfectly content with what you had. Because if you don't know that something exists, then you don't have a desire for it. And so discontentment. And so we're very aware when we go into Facebook where other people vacation. And we're very aware of what they have. We're very aware of all the things that they're doing. And sometimes that creates in us a discontentment. When we go to the mall, we're like, ooh, 
I want that. I, I, and we, we, we look at cars and we look at houses and we look at what, what we're doing is creating an awareness that says, you know what, eventually I'm just not happy anymore. I'm not satisfied anymore with what I have. Now, when you think about that, go back to World War II. With the level of information that you had access to, let me put it like this, the level of awareness you had of what other people were doing and what they owned and what they drove and what they wore and what house they lived in was incredibly low. And over the last 75 years, we've become incredibly aware of what the rest of the world is doing. And it's created in us a discontentment. So discontentment leads us to the next thing, which is this. It's just greed. Because when we see things that we don't have, that you have, and I want what you have, then greed is in my heart. There's something in me that says, I want what you have. I need what you have to feel good or to feel satisfied about myself. And you know what? It's all mine and I need more of it. That's what greed says, right? It's all mine. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. I need more of it. And then what happens is that leads us to debt, which is always stressful, right? If you've ever had massive amounts of debt in your life, you just know that is a stressful thing. You're not sleeping good at night. Your hair's starting to thin. You're angry. You're cantankerous. You're moody. Why? Because debt leads to stress. And again, it's this, it's this pattern that we fall into because we never consider the fact that I don't need more and it's not all mine. If I just had some more, that would relieve the stress. We, if we fall into that trap, you're leading your life towards stress. Can I just get an uncomfortable amen out there? Like, cause y'all are, this is a quiet method of church up here today. I said that one day and somebody came up to me after church and we're like, are we Methodist? I'm like, no. It's a joke. Methodists are usually quiet in church. That's a, it's a joke. And so, uh, so here's what I want to do for you today. If what Jesus said is so true, that there's something competing for my heart and your heart, if there's something in me that's dragging me away, that's leading me into a life of stress, how do I break free from that? And I thought, you know what I really want to do is, I really want to give you the most important and the most profound things that I can give you from Scripture. Because here's what I know, is that if you will do money God's way, if you will see money the way God sees money, if you'll start to live and behave in a kingdom and biblical way, I guarantee you, you will live with less stress. Check this out. I'm going to give you a few principles today. Are you ready? These are the most important principles. And the answer, just so you know, is not give more. Like, I want you to know that the Bible says so much more than just give more. That's not the answer. So uh, there is no second offering. You can all relax, and we're going to feed you after, okay? That's how good this is going to be. Um, but I want to give you some incredible principles that if you'll live by here, and here's what I'm going to tell you. I've never met a person who lived like this. And had incredible financial stress. I've never seen it. Like I've yet to find an exception of anybody that lived like this and said, man, I'm just so stressed about money. I've never seen it. I'm going to give you a few principles from scripture. Number one is this. Uh, If you're taking notes, you need to follow with me. This is going to be so good. And the principle number one is this. Everybody say God first always. That's the principle. This is a life principle, but it bleeds into your finances. God first always. As a matter of fact, when you read Proverbs 3, it says that you ought to um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and acknowledge him in all your way. Everybody say all. Acknowledge. Now, if you've got a Christian aunt that is the Christian interior decorator, that's on her wall, right? Or maybe that's you. You ever notice that they take that scripture and it's on every like Christian home that does Christian interior design, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will guide your paths. What a great scripture. Isn't that a great scripture? 
And what he's, the, the Proverbs is just teaching you this, that your life will always be better when you acknowledge God first. When you acknowledge God in all your ways. Now, here's what's fascinating. Go read the very next verse, and the very first thing he does is lean into what you and I don't want to trust God in, because this is what it says. The very next verse, after that whole trust the Lord with your heart and lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first, everybody say first fruits, the first fruits of all your crops. And then meaning that's a chain reaction, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine, which again is just symbolic for like what you have your life to will be blessed. And so he's saying this, he goes, you've got to remember that you want God first in your life always and in all ways, but never resist the urge to like, because this is, this, is, this is the temptation that we all have. The temptation that we all have is to say this, God, I'd like to trust you with my eternal destination, but I'll handle my money. I'd like to trust you with my eternal destination, but God, don't tell me what to do with my money. I'll do what I want, when I want. I'll give what I want, how I want. That's, that's mine. Oh, by the way, I need you to help my marriage. I need you to heal my kids. I need you to, I need, I, I, we, do, 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 The money thing is mine. Don't touch that. As a matter of fact, that was the story of, of the czar of Russia who went to Greece and he was making a military alliance with the, the, with the, with the daughter of the king of Greece. Gosh, which I can't remember which czar it was. This is a really, really old story. And what he did was, is he went and he needed the hand of the daughter in marriage to make a, a military alliance. And the king was like, "Well, hey, look, man, we're 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 Catholic, so like you got to get baptized in the Catholic Church, or you can't marry my daughter." And that's the, and so and then when he traveled, he had all these mercenaries with him. So the king went ahead and got baptized so that he could marry the daughter. But the mercenaries, his, his like his bodyguard, his, 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 his secret service troops, they were like, hey, we want to get baptized too. And they said, no, you can't because you're mercenaries. You're a bunch of murderers. And they're like, no, we really want to get baptized. So the, literally, this is the weirdest, this is the weirdest scene in history. They take these men out into the middle of a lake. And what they do is, is that they pull their sword up out of their sheath, hold it in the air, and then they get baptized with just their arms sticking up out of the water. And the idea was we'll baptize everything in our life except this one thing. And the problem today is I'm not dealing with mercenaries. I don't need to baptize you with a sword in your hand. Most of you, though, you want to get baptized with your wallet in your hand. You're like, God, I want everything in my life to be yours. Take over. Take Jesus. Take the wheel. And you want to have... But don't take my accounts, you know, don't take my wallet, don't take. And so I'm just telling you, there's this principle of God first, always. And when it comes to your finances, this is what the principle of the tithe was really all about. The principle of the tithe was not even that it was 10%. It was that it was the first 10%. That was the most important element to it. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, when you see two brothers giving an offering, and the difference between God saying, yeah, that's good, or no, that's, that's bad, was that one gave his first fruits and the other one gave his leftovers. And he goes, no, 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 it's God first always. That's the principle that you live by. This is why we give God the first day of our week. This is why in January we fast and we give God the first portion of our year. This is why when you tithe, you give God the first portion. And then what they would do is, is this, they would call it first fruits. They would say, hey, look, before the rest of the harvest even comes in, I will give you my first because I trust you because God, here's, here's what they so desperately knew that God, if you don't bless my whole life, this first 10% means nothing anyway. It's, it's God first always. And this goes back again to the principle of the tithe. And what you want to do is live a life like this. You want God first in all things. 
Does that make sense? And I'm not talking about a pecking order. I'm not talking about you making a list and just saying, okay, well, God's number one. And then, you know, work's number two and she's tripping. So wife is number three right now. And them kids, that's four for sure. And I'm not saying it's in order. I'm saying what you really want to do is put God first in all things. So it's not just God first, then a list of secondary, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and you know, your in-laws are at the bottom. I'm saying God is first in your marriage. And then when it comes to your kids, God is first and foremost in your parenting. And then when it comes to your job, it's not that God's before your job. It's that you put God first in your job. Do you, do you see the difference? It's that God is not just one of many things in your life. It's that actually God needs to consume every aspect of your life. I need to get moving here because I got a few principles. So number one is this is God first. Always live a life where you say, God, I'm going to give you, and again, this is the principle of the tithe. And let me say this before I jump into the next one. If you don't do this one, everything else will get really, really hard. Now, if you do the rest, you will be blessed and you'll have less stress in your life. There's no doubt about that. But I'm telling you that if you do this one first, it actually, I believe, is the key that unlocks the rest of them I'm going to share with you today. And I actually think that it gives you something that the other ones can't give you. There's something that Malachi said. The prophet Malachi said this. When you tithe, you need to know that you're entering into a, a supernatural agreement with God where because you put God first in your finances, God will actually put you underneath an open heaven. Now, what does that mean? Is that God will put you in the best opportunity for you to succeed and be blessed financially. Does that mean God's going to give you stuff? It means God's going to put you in an opportunity to be blessed. He'll put you in an open heaven and he'll unlock the rest that we're going to talk about. Does it make sense? Number two is this. Let's keep going. This is really good. Number two is this. This is so important. This is a New Testament principle and it's this. It's the stewardship principle and it says, I am the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. Because the New Testament, Jesus keeps using this word. We would use the word manager. They would use the word steward. And he kept telling these parables. For example, the parable of the talents worked like this. He goes, there's a king who has people that work for him. And he says, I'm going to give you some. And again, this is there's several parables that do this. He goes, there's a guy and he's going to give you something. But when he comes back, he's going to take an account of what you've done. It's the stewardship principle. If you will look at your money and recognize you didn't have it when you got here. You won't have it when you leave. You've basically got it on lease. On your tombstone, there will be an opening date and a closing date. In the middle, there's a dash. That's, that's your lease agreement right there. You have a lease on life and you have a lease on all your things. And when you recognize, you know what? This is not actually mine. I don't, I really don't own anything. It's all, as a matter of fact, listen to this. This is a powerful scripture. Our Psalms 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and Everything in it. Everybody say everything. This is everything. Everything. The world. <laughs> like, yeah. The world. And all who live in it. So you gotta remember this. Nothing that you have is actually yours. It's almost like it's almost like property tax. Like you think you own your home. Don't pay your property tax and see what happens, right? How much do I really owe? So your life is like that. you got to realize, like, I'm the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. And the greatest walk away from this stewardship principle is this, is that you have to imagine for one second that you would, you're the owner and you're letting other people manage your money. You, if you have a broker or if you have a money manager, you would know this. And if you go to them and you ask them, hey, how are things going? What's up with my money? How's it, how's it doing? How's the market? How's my money doing? And they're like, I don't know. Well, are we doing good or bad? I don't know. Well, where is it invested? I don't know. Would you continue to partner with that money manager? 
No. What does a money manager actually do? Because you know this if you've ever had any type of management position. you got to know what's coming in, what's going out, where is everything allotted to. Like you, you would have an account, or we would say it like this, you would have a budget for everything. The greatest walk away from the stewardship principle is this, is that if I'm a good manager or I'm a good steward, I have a budget. I know where everything is going, and it's going where I tell it to go. Because you know this is true. If you don't know where it's going and you don't tell it where to go, doesn't it find its own way to go? Like it still gets spent. (laughs) And you see all of a sudden like weird things or stupid things or good. You find your entertainment budget's way too high. You find like your, your food budget's way too high. You're eating, you just, your money's just going off into all these different things. Why? Because you think it's yours. And you have no idea where it is. And we know this to be true too. The more of it that you have, the less likely is it that you actually track it and budget it. Because we waste whenever we have excess. This is why when you have extra time, you waste it. And when we have extra money, normally we, we waste it. It's a, it's a human habit. And so what God's wanting to say is this. is No, no, no. Look at yourselves as a steward and as a manager. Everything's God. And at the end of this life, you give an account for all that you do, including how you handle your finances. It's just a powerful principle. And if you'll live by it, you'll begin to budget and think about money differently. Number three is this. Number three is master debt or debt masters you. There's a huge principle in scripture that says you've got to master debt or debt masters you. As a matter of fact, it refers to debt as a slave driver. Listen to this. This is in the book of Proverbs. Solomon is saying something very, very obvious here. Watch this. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is servant or slave is the the actual word. They were being kind in the NIV. It's slave. The borrower is slave to the lender. And if you don't believe me, look at how much interest you're paying. And look what happens when you don't pay. And look how that, so, so what happens is, is that you become, whenever you have debt mastering your life, you are a slave to it. You, you literally owe, you have to pay homage to, and it stresses you out. And so the Bible is constantly trying to get you out of debt. But Americans, we, we like debt. Because again, and you think about what is it that actually drives debt? It's usually rooted in greed or pride. Think about all of your debt outside of catastrophe, which is sometimes unavoidable. Outside of that, what drives your debt? It's greed. I need more. I need it now. I can't wait. I won't. Remember layaway? What was layaway? Layaway was back when Americans had more financial sense about them. We recognized that we didn't have the money to buy it, but we really, really wanted it. So we would say, hey, can you hold this for me? And then we would make little installments until we could eventually save all the money and buy it. Now, what people learned is, because you got to remember, somebody was in it to make some money. So here's what they, they figured out, though. I'm going to charge you and make you pay for me to loan you money. It's as simple as that. You pay interest so that you can spend money that you don't have. And they're making money off of you, and now you become a slave to this new slave master in your life. Because the, the greed said, I need it, I need more of it, it's all for me, and I need it now. And the other element that drives debt is pride. Because pride is the one that actually says, well, no, I need it to feel good about myself. I need it to fit in. I, I need it to measure up. I need it to have that level of status. And so because I need these things, I'm driven to spend money that I don't have to impress people I don't even like. And now you've become a slave to greed and pride, and you've become a slave to the interest rate on your MasterCard. And so the Bible, so the Bible has this principle of trying to get you out of debt. The New Testament principle is this. This is Romans 13. He says, owe no man anything but to love him. 
owe no man anything but to love him. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Jewish people were forbidden to charge interest on each other. This is how big of a deal it was to God. God looked at his people and said, hey, if you need to loan each other money to help each other out, do so. But don't charge interest because it's better for you to both elevate in life. And if you can help each other, do it. But what he was trying to keep them from doing was this, because he would say this repeatedly in the Old Testament. He would say something like, don't enslave your brother. Don't don't charge your brother interest because you were once slaves in Egypt yourself. Meaning, you know what slavery is like. Don't you dare put your brother and sister into slavery. Don't you dare take advantage of maybe their foolishness or catastrophe so that you can make money off of them. And so, again, the Bible is driving you this idea. And as a matter of fact, there's, there's another proverb that says this. This is fascinating. I'll close on this. Solomon is talking about debt, and he uses an animal illustration. He goes, when you think about debt, he goes, I want you to think about like a lion chasing a gazelle. And he goes, I want you to be like a gazelle. And I want you to run for your life. And that's what Solomon said when it came to debt. So that's just a principle that if you'll live by it, I guarantee you, you will have less stress in your life. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about, can you give me a good amen out there? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. I feel like I'm talking to myself up here. I'm preaching to the choir. There's no choir. Uh, Principle number four, here's this. Margin is wisdom margin is wisdom. When you think about how the Bible teaches you to handle your money, what it teaches you is this, is that you need to create some type of gap between what you bring in and what you spend. I'll show you, uh, there's a few verses, but I'll give you one. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 that the wise store up. Everybody say store up. That means they save, keep, they have extra, they have leftovers. They store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool, what does they do? They gulp it down. What they say is, is that, you know what? I brought in this and I'm spending every bit of it. And Solomon said, yeah, that's foolish. That's not wise. That's what a foolish person does. As a matter of fact, what they would teach their people, and this goes back to uh, Leviticus 19 says this. It says that when you have a field and you go to like harvest your field, even if you have a square, I only want you to harvest a circle. So you, everybody say, I have a square, but I live in a circle. Everybody say, I have a square, but I live in a circle. Now, what happens if you have a square, but you only cut the circle? What do you have left over? You got these little triangle corner edges everywhere. And what they would actually do is to say, this is how you live life. You live life in the margin. You live life with some extras, with some leftovers. And do you know what that does when you have leftovers and extras? That relieves stress. Because have you ever noticed... I don't know if you ever thought about this. This is just basic math here. That sometimes you look at other people that have more money than you and you see them as more stressed and you look at them as fools, don't you? You're like, how is it that you make that much money and you're that stressed out? It's because they live in a square. They own a square. They use it all up and then they borrow from other people's square. So they measure up to the guy with the bigger square. And so they end up spending more than they actually have. See, here's the difference. If you have two people that both make $100,000 and and one of them spends everything they have and then more, what are they? Broke. The difference between that person and the person that only makes $50,000 a year is maybe nothing. They're both broke. One just lives at a higher level, but they have no margin, no savings, and no leftover. They're just as broke. But if you take the other person that has $100,000... And they tithe first, and then they save second, and then they live off the rest. Do you know what they have? 
margin. They have leftovers. They have less stress, and they're able to give and do more. I'm just telling you that that's, they're actually more blessed, and they have more, and it has nothing to do with the amount that they earn. Again, your relationship between money and stress is not the amount. What is it in? It's how you manage it. Are you a good steward of what God's given you? Have you gotten yourself out of debt? Is there any margin? Number number five is this. This is a huge principle. It's knowledge is wealth. You've got to get your head wrapped around the idea that like knowledge is wealth. Like wealth is not wealth. Knowledge is wealth. We know this to be true because if you ever see lottery winners, they were usually broke, got a lot of money, and then ended up broke. Because if you take a poor person with poor habits and poor mentalities and bad financial management, and you give them a lot of money, what will happen to that money? It'll be wasted foolishly and they won't have anything. Does that make sense? But if you give a wise person who already has a lot of money and you give them more money, you know what happens? They just got more money. So there was nothing profound about that one. The, the, the point was this. The point was that knowledge is the difference maker. Listen to what Solomon said. Solomon is, again, probably the basis of our understanding here. He said, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, this is wisdom, by the way. Wisdom is a, is a woman. Guys, just think about that for a second. Wisdom is a woman. For she is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. So what's Solomon saying? God, Solomon's saying if you have an opportunity to get gold or to get knowledge, what's better? Now, I didn't say that's what Solomon said. She, again, wisdom is a woman. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And the reason why we know this principle is true is that the people of Israel are proof of this. Because all throughout their history, they have had their money stolen or their land taken from them, but they keep thriving. Why? Because knowledge is wealth. If, you, if, if you're not a person that understands how to manage money and we give you a lot of money, it will do no good. Until you get knowledge first. Knowledge, wisdom, insight, understanding. This is the things that you pursue. And again, you can see this all throughout the, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, that there's this pursuit of truth and knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And here's, and here, here's another the way that we've seen it. Even in America, there is a trend that's called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Let me say it again. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. The idea would be this, is that usually in America, what happens is, is that there's a wealth producer. There's a person that comes along that has knowledge, wisdom, insight, and understanding, hard work, and they break through. And they know how money works, and so they know how to save money, manage money, gain money, make money, work hard, and do all those things. So they're wealth producers. The problem is, is that by the second generation, usually the second generation does not have that same thing about them. But they're not complete idiots either. So they don't know how to grow money, but they can at least maintain the money. And then by the time you get to the third generation, they don't know how to gain it or maintain it, so they squander it. And then by the third generation, you have to go back to living in shirt sleeves. Blue collar, I have to work hard for everything that I get. And why is that? What's the difference maker? It's knowledge. It's wisdom. So the greatest thing that you can leave your kids is not just an inheritance, but the knowledge and wisdom and understanding in how to not just maintain it, but even grow it. Knowledge is wisdom. So turn to your neighbor and say, that was good. That was, was really good. That was good. I didn't amen, but I mean, that was good. 
Number six is this. Number six, be generationally minded. This is so huge. If you'll start to do this, it'll have a ripple effect into everything else that you do. Be generationally minded when it comes to your finances. This is a really, really famous scripture. Listen to this, Proverbs 13, 22. A righteous man or a good person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. So who are your children's children? Them, your grandbabies. Those are your grandkids. Now, I want you to step back and think for a second. What if I thought about my money? And as I planned and thought and strategized my money, I didn't plan for next week. And I didn't even plan for next year. I mean, that would be good. I didn't plan for my retirement, although that would be wise. I didn't plan for my inheritance going to my kids. What if I got so deep into my prayer and planning and strategizing that I started thinking about future grandchildren that don't even exist yet. And I thought, how can I set myself up financially now so that one day I will bless my grandkids so that they can jump off of my shoulders into their future? What would you do differently? If I said, hey, you've got to think, you've got to consider right now your grandchildren, who many of you, your grandkids don't even exist. You gotta consider them with all your financial decisions. I want you to think like a manager. You don't own it. Don't be ridiculous. Everything's God's. You're a manager. It's on lease. How are you managing it? How do you think about debt? Because Solomon said you need to think about debt like a lion chasing you and you need to run for your life. How do you, how do you consider God when it comes to your finances? Is he first or do you tip God with your leftovers if there's some in the end? This is the, the last one is this. Number seven is this, is invest for eternity. Now there's this principle and it's repeated through the New Testament that the life that you're living right now is the blink of an eye. It's a flash. It's a moment. Listen, the older you get, the more you know this is true. Your life is incredibly short. When you're young, you think you'll live forever. We were talking about this the other day. We were in small group and we were talking about how like when you cross because I'm about to cross 40. My friend just crossed 50. He said that when you, when you start crossing these 40 and 50, and especially, you, he goes, when you think about crossing 40, he's like, you can double that. And you're like, okay, 80. Yeah, I think maybe I can get to 80. He said, when you cross 50, he goes, man, I'm not getting to 100. There's no way. <laughs> you start thinking I have more time behind me than I do in front of me. And I, this life is incredibly short. It, 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 it's a blink of an eye. It's so fast. James said it like this. He goes, your life is but a mist and a vapor. It's here one second and then poof. He doesn't say poof. When I read the Bible verse, I think poof. It's poof, you're gone. You're a mist and a vapor. It's gone. And so your life is so incredibly short. And so Jesus is like, hey, you need to know that the point of this life is to prepare you for the life to come. What are you doing right here and right now that will influence your eternity? By the way, your 401k does not make it to heaven. Your collections, your things, your gadgets, your toys, your cars, your homes, they don't make it to eternity. As a matter of fact, Jesus said they rust. Or there's thieves that break in and steal them. Or family members will fight over them the day after you're gone. You don't get to keep any of that stuff. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be so short-sighted in the way that you think about life and money and stuff and possessions. This is what Jesus said. And in light of that, listen to these words. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. There's moths and vermin. Thieves break in and steal. I want you to think like this. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, in eternity. 
By the way, in eternity, there apparently are no moths or vermin. Thieves can't break in and steal. And he leaves with this powerful principle here. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There's just this idea that you need to know. You, you live in this little moment that's just a blink of an eye. It's such a short time span. But you need to know this. People make it to eternity. And you need to live your life investing into people. This is so important. This is why it's so important that I want you to tithe. It's not just that I, you put God first. But by the time you tithe, what it does is it comes back around and it wraps this thing back together. Because you need to know that the vehicle that God wants to use to change the world is the local church. Let me help you understand something real quick here. God does not need your money. How ridiculous of a thought that God needed your money. As if God pays for things in heaven and has to run to the store. God has bills and needs to pay. God's stressing out because the offering was a little low last week. How ridiculous. God doesn't need your money. You need to give your money so that you can put first God always. That's And so that you can actually be a part of something. The vehicle, see, the reason why you finance the kingdom of God is because you want to fuel the vehicle that's changing the world. The very thing that God wants to use to change hearts and lives, it starts with this local church. And so, yes, I want you to be a giver. I want you to be a tither. I want you to be a percentage giver. I want you to get in on this. Because why? Because it'll change your heart. It'll change your life. And it'll have a ripple effect into everything else that you do. Because you will now be investing in eternity. Again, to close, the relationship between your money and your peace, it's not the amount, it's your management. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes today. So God, I I pray for these great people. And Lord God, I would just say, God, would you speak to them? Holy Spirit, would you guide them, convict them, strengthen them, give them the courage, God? For some of them, it's going to be like a radical approach to getting out of debt. For some people, it'll be like incredible cuts into how they spend money so that they can actually create margin. For some of them, it'll be getting over the hurdle and to actually put you first in their finances and not not give as an afterthought, not give second and third, but actually to put you first. And before they spend anything else, they think, oh, God's first and everything else will be put in its proper order. God, I pray that we, your people, would step into like incredible blessings. Not so we can get more and hoard more, but God, so that we can give more and do more. God, help us to relieve the stress. God, we don't want to do finances like the world does finances. We don't want to live like everybody else lives. God, you said we're a royal priesthood and a chosen people. We're, we're something unique. We're something different, God. And as we follow your ways, Lord God, we live out something different. And so God, help us to trust you. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to follow in your ways and in doing so, Live in your peace. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and we all said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.